Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, on this edition of Kidney Talk, we're going to be talking about a very difficult issue, but also intriguing at the same time. We're here with John Fox. John, he's the author of a book called Killer Nurse. And many of you may have heard the story about where a nurse injected bleach into people who were on dialysis, which resulted in the death of a couple of them. Now, John is totally qualified to talk about this uh, topic because... You know, he is a Vietnam veteran, Army Airborne Ranger, policeman, and homicide detective. So he ended up publishing a book called Killer Nurse, and he's going to tell us a little bit about that journey and of investigating this crime. So welcome to the show, John. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Well, you know, this is such a a haunting topic, you know, about potentially thinking that a nurse is causing harm. And, you know, you wrote the book called Killer Nurse. And can you please tell us what made you intrigued about this topic? Uh, When this first broke here in Lufkin, Texas, nobody could believe it. Absolutely no one. The police didn't believe it. The DA didn't believe it. And to be honest with you, DeVita didn't believe it either. Right. I mean, who could? I mean, so can you tell us what the crime was? She, uh killed and injured patients by injecting their dialysis lines with bleach. Wow. Um, And this woman's name is Kimberly Clark Science? It's pronounced science, like a stop sign. Okay. And so, you know, so when this story broke, this was a couple of years ago, I remember this so clearly, is that patients were getting sick and nobody could, and they were dying, and they couldn't figure out why, because what is the issue with bleach that makes it undetectable? And it is. That's a good That's a good point. It is an almost undetectable, but when bleach enters the bloodstream, the blood has all several different kinds of different particles and everything in it. And when bleach hits blood, it automatically attaches to those different parts inside the blood, the cells and things like that. And therefore, it just disappears. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think what it happens is it doesn't somewhat to make them hemolysize. That ends up why they end up, um, you know, it breaks the cell open and potassium releases, and then you basically die of a cardiac arrest. Right. And... Some of those, most of those that died did die of cardiac arrest. Now, tell us a little bit about Kimberly. I mean, you must have ended up researching about this woman who, you know, basically is serving time for this horrific crime. Yeah, I did. I I interviewed 237 people. Wow. And a lot of them had to do with her. She wouldn't, uh, she had told me before the trial started, she would I'd asked her if she would uh, talk to me after the trial one way or the other. She told me she would. But, of course, that was before she was convicted. (laughs) (laughs) And now she's not talking, and that's usual. And I really expected that. And before she was charged, I started talking to people around her because I figured if, and I knew she was going to be charged, but 
even before the public did, I knew she was going to be charged. But I figured that once she was charged, they would clam up on me, and they did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I talked to a bunch of people, and some of them I got little, just little bits and pieces of. Uh, naturally, her family stuck by her. And how old was Kimberly? How how I mean, I'm trying to get a visual image in my head. When this occurred, she was 34 years old. Wow. She was married, had two young children. One was around eight, and one was probably, I'm guessing, 16. Now, she was first arrested. Well, she was first arrested for aggravated assault, not murder. Okay. In Texas, you, they never charge anybody with attempted murder. It's almost impossible to prove. Okay, so it's either aggravated assault or murder. So they charged her with aggravated assault of two patients. And these two patients, they, have, they had two witnesses that actually saw her inject them with bleach. Wow. And, I mean, so did was there any psychological profiling on um, this nurse? Not really. Uh, no. No. <laughs> uh, the, when she was first, when this first, she was first accused of this, the police talked to her, mm-hmm. but they didn't get to talk to her very long because before they started talking to her, she took something. Oh, she took like something to make her sleepy. Well, uh, she took some kind of drug. Okay. And it just made her intoxicated. Okay. The police had to end the interrogation. Oh wow. And that was the only chance they or anybody else got to talk to her. Because then she got an attorney and she didn't talk to anybody. Right. And so, you know, this happened. Tell us a little bit about how the events unfolded at the dialysis facility. Was this happening over a week? Was it very quick? Um, Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, the events that she was charged with uh, occurred over 28 days. And... To understand this, uh, it is very rare that a patient dies on the dialysis machine in an outpatient dialysis clinic like DeVita. It's very rare. Well, and they have no reason for it. I mean, you know, you might have your blood pressure drop or you might have a stroke or, you know, people do pass away, but when you don't expect it, something that that doesn't normally happen. Well, it doesn't normally happen while they're on the machine because they're monitoring, you know, they monitor their vitals. They get the hospitals full of doctors and nurses and there's a hospital right across the street from them. So, uh, it's w- one in 700,000, something like that, that actually die while they are on the machine. So so this particular case, and how many patients passed away? She was charged for five. For five. But on April the 1st of 2008, two patients died on the machine, five minutes apart. You can't even take a calculator and calculate those odds. Right. And then, and then those two patients passed away. I mean, it must just have been so horrific for, like, what's going on? Because I'm sure a dialysis unit thinks, oh, my God, we have a water problem. They didn't know what the problem was. They brought in monitors, and they looked at everything. The water, especially the water. The water, the policies, everything. The machines, 
And they probably never suspected that a nurse was doing this. They didn't. They looked at everything but an employee doing it. Wow. Well, you never want to think that. I mean, it's so uncommon. I mean, I think I heard of another story, too, where people were at the end of their life in different hospitals, and another nurse, it was a show on, like, Nightline or something like that, where they were doing, essentially, but they were giving um, a cardiac drug. Uh, that Put was, them out of their misery. Yeah, that's basically what um, they thought, that, you know, I'll be an angel of death. This wasn't what was happening. So this wasn't what the the motive was of this particular nurse. She was just killing people. She just was psychopathic. And um, so now she's been incarcerated. Is she serving life in prison? She is serving life in prison plus 60 years. Wow. She was charged with five capital murders mm -hmm. and five aggravated assaults, which is a serious charge in Texas. Like I said, it's basic to attempted murder. She was convicted of the five murders and three of the aggravated assaults. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting is that, you know, I learned a little bit about reading the story, is that this was not an easy case to prosecute. It was probably one of the hardest to investigate and prosecute that anybody's ever seen. Because it's, you know, people on dialysis, you know, they do pass away. I mean, you know, there is, there is that, but just to... Um, you know, how did the prosecutors come to this conclusion, and, and how did they, did they have a jury trial? It went to a jury trial. Uh, one of the things, when this was very, very first started, one of the things that the DA learned was that most medical professionals who are convicted of charges, of the crime they're charged with, are done so through a confession. They, it, is, it is very difficult to convict medical professionals in, in court. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, they convict less than 50%. And that was one of the reasons she was first charged with the two aggravated assaults, because they wanted to get a confession out of her. But she took that sleeping pill or something to make her goofy. <laughs> well, they think it was a lot more than a sleeping pill. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe she's mixing her own cocktail at home, huh? Yeah, she was addicted to uh, prescription drugs. Okay. But she had already got an attorney by then, and that didn't work. And they were stuck with, they knew, they knew she was killing patients. Mm -hmm. But it's one thing to know it and another thing to prove it. Well, I'm sure as soon as, as, soon as they had any suspicion, they removed her from the premises. Uh, yeah. And, you know, made every precaution so she couldn't hurt another patient. Um, but, I mean, I, I can only imagine what the facility administrator and the the people who probably sat and had lunch with her, there there had to be a certain amount of, oh, no, Kimberly couldn't have done this. Because it's so insidious of a crime that it's hard to wrap your brain around it. They didn't believe it, but it it really explained a lot of things to them. All these monitors come in looking for what was wrong, and they didn't find anything. And the deaths and injuries kept going. Wow. Now, were the five patients that um, passed away, um, were there other people that were harmed that survived? Yes, there were five that were harmed and survived that they could prove. Now, they believe there's a lot more. 
Okay, so she injected the bleach, but they, you know, they had, um, they'd survived the incident. Were they permanently impaired or were they able to overcome that? They were able to overcome it. Uh, three of them testified in trial. Wow. Two of them had, had died by the time trial came. One of them natural causes and one of them died in a car accident. And so how long was this trial? The trial itself was four weeks. Jury selection was three weeks. And what was the outcome of the jury? She was guilty of five capital murders and three aggravated assaults. And was it um, a unanimous decision? Oh, yeah. yeah, it has to be unanimous. Oh, yeah, it has to. Or if they have one, one or, yeah, I forgot. There were two of the aggravated assaults. They did not convict her of. Wow. Not because they thought she was guilty of them. They didn't think she was, they had proved it. So why did you decide to write this book called Killer Nurse? I mean, it's a fascinating story. And um, what do you hope that people can learn from it? I mean, it's, it's you know, one of those, like, I want to say it's equivalent to Jerry Springer's show. It's just so horrific. Sometimes you have to stop and watch it. But at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this gives me the creeps. If I, you know, going into a dialysis unit and, you know, I just want to assure people who are listening that this has never happened before. This is and it will, um, you know, certainly, you know, I can't imagine it happening again. So you don't have to be worried about this for the people listening. But um, what made you decide to write this book? Well, it's the most unique crime in history. Never before has anyone been accused, charged, or convicted of murder using bleach. It's so outlandish that I just thought the story had to be told, and it just so happened I was here to tell it. Yeah, because you live um, live in the area, and I live you know, here in the town it happened in. And the unique thing, I mean, it's unfortunate, but when you're on hemodialysis, you have your bloodstream circulating out of your body at a very fast speed. Yeah. So, you know, injecting bleach into the bloodstream is not all that difficult. Whereas if you were, um, you know, getting an IV or something, you would probably immediately feel that and it would burn and you would end up, you know, probably saying, no, I can't take this, take the IV out or stop the IV because you would feel it. And that's what's unusual about dialysis is you have a very uh, large gauge needles that are put into your arm or you have a, a large catheter that's inserted and, you know, would be, it would go into the body before you even, maybe you felt a little sting, but you wouldn't, I mean, I'm just guessing, I don't know this for certain, but it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be that big a deal. It would just impact your bloodstream so quickly it would just overcome you. Right. Uh, the uh, dialysis machines have alarms on them. But does it detect bleach? I mean, you know, well, I'm like... Any foreign it, substance. You know, I mean, it, it does, did it detect it? Because, I mean, saline is running, I mean, I don't know, but saline and bleach, I mean, I don't know, they may have different properties, but I don't think the machine is there to detect, you know, air bubbles and... But not yeah, different is. components. Actually, it, it does it detect bleach. Well, yeah, for air bubbles, definitely. But does it have something that you know detects specifically for bleach? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm pretty familiar with dialysis, and I'm like, I don't think there's anything that really detects because, you know, oftentimes patients are given a new injectable drug, and there's no way that it could detect uh, anything it, it that's unusual. It detects substances. Oh, okay. Um, that that's what it detects. And how she did this, and several of the machines went off. While she, this came out later, several of the machines actually went off while she was doing this. And one patient died after they restarted her blood. 
But she would turn down the blood flow rate. And then that would be... That uh, gave it a longer time to mix in. Wow. Well, that's, that's, that's just crazy. You just think of what was her, you know, I mean, I wonder if she'll ever talk to say why she did it or she's just psychopathic and has... She'll never talk. She'll never you talk. You asked me why I wanted to write this book, though. And I didn't know this going in, but this woman had six jobs in three years. She was fired from all six of them. And was her, was it, were they all the jobs, her being a nurse? All of them a nurse. Hmm. Her second job, she worked there a month and a half. She was fired for stealing Demerol and injecting patients with pain medication that they didn't need. Wow. And she went and got another nursing job and another. In between this, she had a stopover in a mental hospital. Wow. And she just kept getting jobs. Well, and then, you know, what the unfortunate thing is, is that she should have been reported to the nursing board during some point and her license yanked. That's the problem. She was. Oh, her, her license was yanked? Her license was not yanked, but she, but the second job she had was at Woodland Heights Hospital in Lufkin. That's the one she was fired from for stealing the dimmer on everything. They made a charge against her license. Okay. And I can't say wherever place, but... I know I've talked to some people, and I know this is true, not only in Texas but other states. And part of it has to do with federal law. But an employer cannot say anything about it except they would either rehire or not. Right. No, I know that as an employer, you can they can call you up and say, "Oh, you know, would you hire them?" And you're like, "No, I would not." You know, because if they're uh, it's a difficult question to, you can get sued for it if you answer it the wrong way. In Texas, that charge against her license couldn't, wouldn't show up until they investigated it. Oh, wow. And she had actually been fired from DeVita for killing patients before they, before they got around to investigating that charge from Woodland Heights. Oh, okay. So once they suspected her, then they're like, okay, we're going to dismiss her, and then we're going to go investigate her record. And, you know, you don't do that before you hire somebody because that, and then they found out, oh, my goodness, she's got a problem here. Yeah, they say DeVita was the sixth place she was hired. Wow. And they didn't know about the number two because it wasn't on her record. Wow. The Texas uh, Nursing Board hadn't investigated it yet. Now, would DeVita have hired her still? Who knows? But <laughs> I, I, I seriously doubt it. I don't think anybody wants that kind of liability or, um, you, yeah, that that's just uh, a friend of mine one time, um, a, a nurse was fired because she was calling up uh, calling up prescriptions for herself and under my friend's name and then going down to the pharmacy and saying, oh, I'm picking them up for this person. <laughs> and she was addicted to drugs. And she would just call it in herself. And um, and then, you know, my friend went down to the pharmacy and they're like, oh, did you get your medicine? And she's like, what medication? I haven't been here in a long time. And uh, that particular nurse was ended up letting go. But I then did see her working at another place, and um, it, it was actually a different industry. I actually just ran into her in the elevator somewhere, and I was, like, shocked because I'm like, oh, my goodness, she's probably, 
doing this again? And how do you really, you know, prevent that from happening and protect people a little bit, you know, better? <laughs> this one here, uh, Fines, she, after she got arrested for injecting the, the two patients with bleach, the first two that they were trying to get a confession from, after she got arrested, she was released on bail. And part of her bail agreement was that she could not work around or be around any medical facility. So what did she do? She went out and got a job at the children's clinic. She used her husband as a reference, put his phone number down, and... So, so have you had a chance to interview the family? I mean, are they still standing by her innocence? Oh, yeah, they're standing by her innocence. I don't really believe they believe it, to be wow. honest with you. It was, uh, to be honest, uh, her husband, that's a strange situation. Because uh, at the time she was arrested, the first time, she was arrested twice, once for the aggravated assault and then later for the murders, but they were separated. And he had filed a uh, protective order against him because she basically beat him up. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and So he was scared of her, too. <laughs> oh, he was, yes, he was very scared of her. And uh, he is actually the one who turned her into the police. But still maintains her innocence. Is that isn't a dysfunctional relationship? I don't know what one is. Yeah, he, he. Matter of fact, he's the one who gave the police the information to get a search warrant for her computers, and the keywords they used to search the computer. That turned out to be extremely damaging. Now, you know, I'm kind of curious because this is a radio show. What, what did Kimberly look like? What? I mean, you know, was she tall? I mean, now that when you say she beat up her husband, um, you know, was she six foot tall, uh, you know, big lady? Or what, was, what, what did she look like? When she was first, she was about five two. When she was first arrested, she was pretty slim. Mm-hmm. So she's like five foot two? Yeah. Wow. She was pretty slim when she was first arrested. She probably weighed about 170 when she went to... Uh, prison. Yep, stress will do it to you, right? <laughs> uh, but she was bigger than him. When she went to prison, but not before she, five foot two, was he five foot? I mean, I mean I'm mean, i not, I, it doesn't matter the size, but I'm just trying to get like, wow, what did she? five six, probably weighs about 140. <laughs> okay, soaking wet. <laughs> yeah. She, she was just about the size he was. <laughs> oh, okay. And, and the kids, now, you know, is there anything follow-up on her kids in the community? Have they decided to move? I mean, I'm sure this area is a very small town and not like Los Angeles where you can get lost in the crowd. I know the son still lives here. I don't know about the daughter. Uh, the son was by the, her first husband. The daughter was by this husband. Okay. So... Uh, and the son is, out. he's grown now. Mm-hmm. You know, he was 20 at the time the trial came around. Wow. And I'm not sure that the daughter, I'm not sure about the daughter. I did not do anything with the kids. 
Right. Yeah, just probably so traumatic for them. And I didn't talk to them. I didn't do anything. I, you know, they didn't have a choice in this, and I wasn't going to bring them into it. Wow. Well, this is certainly one of those uh, um, crimes of the century. You would probably see it at night on CNN now that they're doing that special. And, John, I mean, this is just a... a you know, a haunting. I can't even, it just gives me chills. And, and you know, our audience is primary people who have kidney disease in their families. And, um, you know, I want to assure them that, you know, this doesn't happen. But What I hate about this whole thing is the medical profession is full of dedicated, caring professionals who go out of their way to do nothing but take care of their patients. Yes, indeed. And Davida Lufkin, I can't say about all of them, but Davida Lufkin was full of those kind of health care providers. And it's a shame that one person, all the focus is on that one person. Right, one bad apple. And not the others. No, I, I totally agree. That's what I wanted to ensure, that there's... I work with a lot of healthcare professionals in the renal community, and I, I mean, it's they work hard every day trying to provide the best care, and you know they're victims too. Um, and you know, unfortunately, the poor people that passed away and their family members—I can only imagine um, the angst and anger and grief that they're feeling. But uh, at the end of the day, this was a crime against humanity. And, yeah, and, um, and these and these families, family members, had to sit through court. To start out with, they didn't know if their loved one had been murdered or not. Wow. They didn't know if they died of natural causes or had been murdered. They didn't know this until the trial started. And they had to sit through trial and listen to all this. But they had to sit there, and she almost taunted them during the trial. Wow. She would turn and smile and laugh and at them. Wow. Sounds like Ariel Castro. I mean, you know, during his trial, when you were watching that, when he held those three young women in captivity for over 10 years, and, you know, he didn't think he did anything wrong. I mean, you know, that's the definition of a psychopath. They have no emotion. Yeah, she, she has had a good time during the trial. Well, John, thank you so much for bringing this, uh, um, you know, it's interesting. It's it's also to tell the story of all the other people involved that were hurt and and just, you know, hard to believe. I'm still kind of sitting here shaking my head, but uh, how, how do people get um, uh, your book? Yes, uh, well, they can, my website is uh, com. Okay, and that's johnfoxjohn.com, just like it sounds. And uh, they can get the book from any bookstore, any online retailer, or anything like that. Uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com, all those. It's available in just about any format. And, and what has been the response? Have, uh, has the book been doing well? It actually has. It is, True uh, crime does well. <laughs> it does very well. And this one has done well. It's, been, it's already hit four bestseller lists. So. Wow. Um, really pleased with that it's it's done really well well um i appreciate you um bringing this story to light and letting people know all the facts and uh again that it was just a one-time thing dealing with a psychopathic nurse and uh hopefully we'll never have to read a story about this again thanks for having me on all right well you have a wonderful day 
Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.